poor display as the ghost, not just the figures. He doesn't need to kill anyone, sacrifice, or, or use spells. He just sits back while the display does it for him until the day when there were 18 victims. The time when 18 of the most evil souls that have ever been shall live again, destroying the world with the help of their possessed. The voodoo end of the world, when the dead shall rise and consume all things. Can this be stopped? Maybe before the event. Hey everybody, welcome to another sweet episode of Halloween Month and a Half. Yep. As we dive into another horror treat. Now the film we picked is actually kind of a coincidence. I believe yourself, Trevor, mentioned a few months ago. We kind of mentioned it. I can't remember if it was in the magazine. If you mentioned it in Fantastic Glory magazine, or we talked about it, it was on Shutter or something. I think we were just talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was this coincidence we were talking about this movie called Waxwork. Came out back in 1988, and we always kept talking about we let's do it. It'd be kind of fun. We haven't seen it in a while, and sadly. Just a few days ago, we found out that Anthony Hickox, the, the writer and director of the film, uh, passed away uh, mysteriously, which is sad. And so we felt this would be a nice way to kind of yeah, pay a little a tribute to his work and, the, you know, at the same time, talk about a film that we were going to talk about initially. And that's where we are. We're talking the 1988 film Waxwork. Now, Anthony Hickox is kind of a, an interesting story. You know, it's weird because he directed he, a lot of good directors and uh, seem to, oh, you know, they start off with horror and they go on and do really well. Yeah. You know, uh, Chuck Russell we talk about quite a bit, um, who did The Blob, uh, Dream Warriors, you know, and so forth. We talk about Renee Harlan, who did Nightmare on Elm Street's. And he went on to do, you know, Die Hard 2 and Cliffhanger. Right. We talk Pete Jackson, who started with horror, Dead Live and Bad Taste. We talk about Catherine Bigelow, who did Near Dark, ended up getting the Oscar for Hurt Locker. We, Andrew Davis, The Final Terror, ended up going, getting Oscar nods for The Fugitive. Roger Spotterswood did Terror Train. Then he went on to do Stop Around Mama Shoot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm sorry, buddy. Uh, I'll give you... Sorry, Roger Spotterswood. We, we give you a pass. You're still a good director. Yeah. Uh, Sam Raimi started in horror, and he ended up going to do Spider-Man, a little indie film called The Simple Plan. You know, he, you know. Darkman, which is a superhero film. Well, that's still kind of yeah, horror-esque. But. but you get my point. But for some reason, there's a small cluster of, of filmmakers that never left the B underground train. And what I mean by that, there's all these companies. Uh, one company's mine called Full Moon Entertainment. Charles Band product. Stuart Gordon would be part of that team. We talked about that yes. with Reanimator. Um, from Beyond and stuff. Yeah. And, yeah. And Stuart Gordon came close with um, uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. He wrote it, I believe. So he had flashes there, um, but I think he had health concerns why he couldn't pursue it. But anyways, they always, they always stayed underground. And this is usually part of the Vestron group. The Vestron Entertainment was kind of like what Lionsgate was. Lionsgate did a lot of horror films. Then they did successful horror films. Then they built on that, and they went on to do, you know, I always, big, I always big blockbusters. Their logo coming up um, in a lot of the films I watched on video as a kid. Yeah, and that's what Vestron was. But Vestron never, that was it. They never really took their money and and then and put it into, you know, big 
bigger film was to get released in the theater. They did a movie called Soul Man, which was uh, stupid. But I remember they that. Didn't, yeah. They didn't do anything big and commercial. So they kind of went under. Mm-hmm. They were just known as the video team. And nothing wrong with that. Vestron gave us some fun titles, including the Full Moon Entertainment and Charles Band stuff. And, and well, this is where Anthony Hickox came from. And he started off, he was a club promoter. And all the people he met, like Studio 54 and all this stuff. And when he, and then when he, all these people he met, he was able to. I can't remember where he got the funds. You, I think you said maybe a car accident is where he got the well, funds. Well, it was a car. There was a car, apparently, from what I've read, there was a car crash, and um, to pay for the damage that he had apparently caused to this other guy's car, who was some studio guy, he said, "I'll write a script for you," um, or, or something like that happened. So that's what were um, the, the script for Waxwork, which apparently he wrote over a weekend, came from. Again, I stress apparently. It's just what I've read. Yeah. Well, he took that. And yeah, he went on and, and he wrote and directed, obviously, what about talk about Waxwork. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's Waxwork's got some flashes here. Um, and I was surprised Hickox didn't go on to do anything else. He did Hellraiser 3, which is kind of a, a lot of people seem to like. But He also did a sequel it. to this as well, Waxwork 2. And that wasn't him. Did, did he not write it? Was he not involved in the sequel? No. At least? Might have been involved, but the sequel's terrible. I, I can't remember. Um, but no. um, I've always had a um, a very sort of, um, you know, love for this one, Waxwork, since I first watched it on video. Yeah. Yeah, so did I. And now we're here to revisit it and see if it kind of holds up. And maybe find out why, you know, Anthony Cox never really found his footing. And again, I think it's just the, the, the group of people he hung out with and... They just never. I don't know. He got. To, he never got the breaks. It appears for yeah, whatever reason. They, something, whatever reason. It's kind of odd. It's kind of odd. But I mean, he did get at, some breaks. But he never really sort of. He went, worked. Went, he yeah, worked his, yeah, his exactly. whole life. I mean, he always worked and he got never good. Good, he, good on him. He always did. You know. Yeah. A lot of lot of really bad cheesy director video. Well, he never uh, would have reached the heights of say Remy or, or or such. Yeah, like the, that's what I was, that's what I was mentioning. Like the guys before, like I mentioned before. Mm-hmm. Um, and I never understood that because I do think Waxwork has flashes of uh, a lot of competency here. Um, let's dive into it. Uh, we've got, again, going back to what I just said about directors, not really fully seeing their potential. Yes. Kind of stuck in the 80s. So, so is this cast, really. <laughs> uh, Zach Galligan, we know from Gremlins, he, uh, is Mark. Deborah Foreman, who I was a big fan of. I had a big crush on her. Yeah. She was supposed to be the new It girl. She well, she's still acting. I think she's still doing TV and stuff. She still does, but she kind of. I think she raised her kids instead. But to be fair, I, I actually prefer the um, other girl, Johnson. Her name is. Yeah. Oh, Michelle Johnson. Yes. China. Yeah. Well, yeah, we got Dara Foreman, who was in Valley Girl, and one of my favorite horror films, April Fool's Day. We'll mm-hmm. Probably get to that one. That's right. Uh, David Warner, he plays the owner. Yeah. Uh, Dana Asbrook plays Tony, and then you got little guy. He's Hans. And you got the two throwaways, Gemma and James. So, and of course, well, well, just before we go any further, Dana Icebrook um, has probably his most famous role as Bobby Briggs in Twin Peaks. <laughs> we bit of a David Lynch reference there for you. So, anyways, <laughs> um, yeah, I read up on this one. I do love the, the Wax Museum. I think it's kind of fun. Yep. And they almost got sued. They had the Village of the Dam, Jason, and the thing in there. Yeah. And they couldn't. They said he can't use it. Um, creature from the Black Lagoon as well, I think. 
Yeah, there's a couple of them. That you know Kane, Ho- Kane Hoder was the, is the stunt director, stunt coordinator yeah. for this? Yeah, I know he was involved. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's kind of yeah. neat. All right, so we open up. Uh, I love the intro music. It's all swing music. Yeah. Uh, kind of fun. 1950s and, type. And you kind of know where this film is going to be. It's going to be pretty much a comedy. Because mm-hmm. um, you open up this, you know, swing band music. Dun, 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 and then you see a man getting his, his, his head shoved into a fireplace. <laughs> yeah. It's actually a nice little death. Mm-hmm. Horrible death to get, but it's a mm-hmm. uh, nice little icebreaker. And I do like how you meet... Mark and his mom, such a snob. It's so over the top. Yeah, I mean, um, it sets itself out from the start as this is tongue and cheek comedy. Exactly. You meet the team. You meet. You meet all the misfits. You meet um, Warner, who's the best, uh, you know, actor in it. I think. You know. Yeah, Cat, they yeah. all they all do what they need to do. I think. Although I mean, Patrick McNeese, pretty good as well. You know. Badger, yeah, as Wolfie. Yeah. Uh, they're all okay. Yeah. They do their job. Um. Again, like we always mention this, it's a fucking horror film from the 80s. Who cares or shit? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But what I liked about it is it's simple and to the point. It's an hour and a half. It's, hey, come to my opening tonight at midnight, and you can uh, see the see the exhibit. I do love when they go to the exhibit, and it's actual actress playing and you can see them moving. You can see them moving. Yeah, all of them. Oh, God yeah. love them. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you can see like their eyes and stuff moving. Yeah, and, and, but you know what? We talk about charm. It gets yeah. a pass. They can't afford to be doing all these fucking mannequins, you know, mannequins that you'll get from movies like Waxwork. Yeah, exactly. And House yeah. of Wax. And well, stuff. they ended up rolling out of budget on this, hence the chaotic finale. I was about to say, because we're going to talk about that. The film works on quite a few levels. And... We'll just start off with what I do like about it. And I saw this through the podcast eyes. It's a little smarter than you, than the average when I watched it when I was younger in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And what I liked about it, it's actually an anthology horror film. Yes, I was just going to say that it is. Yeah. It plays a lot, you know, instead of some narrator coming out and going, boo, let's talk about the next tale. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's the actors that bring you into the next tale. Yep. There's and the Warburg one. You, there's the Vampire one. There's the yeah, Marcus to see it. Yep. Yeah, the Marcus Assad to sell suede. What did you just say? See it? The Marcus. It's, it's not Marcus how you say it. To see it. Yeah. No, it's not. Sod. It's see it. No, it's see it. It's sod. Sado masochism. But it's Marcus Assad. Well, Marcus Assad. That, but it's I would Martin say it's see it. I would say oh see it. God. To be fair, I do get names wrong a lot in the, in the pronunciation of them, so you may be onto that. I mean, I, I am renowned for um, like pronouncing names just the way I see them. I Ladies and gentlemen, this is the editor in chief of Phantasmagorium Magazine. I'm not talking about the written word, I'm talking about the spoken word. So I know, I know. That's I different. Know. <laughs> um, yeah, but so I, I saw that, and they're fun. A couple of them don't work. And they kind of mix it well because when they go in and they have to face their fear, technically is what they have to do. And if they don't master facing their fear, they become part of the display. Yes. And so you'll see the story and how they become part of the display. Or you'll see them get shoved into it and then a second later, they pop into the display. You don't see the story. I think that was because of budget reasons again. Well, that's fine. And that's fine. I kind of like mixing it up like that and see how it's done. And I really enjoyed that. And I, I got to say, yeah, it's technically an anthology film. Yeah, uh, definitely. And like all anthology films, there are some stories that you like better than others, you know? Yeah. That's I the mean, they're, of them. they're simple little stories. Yeah. Um, the wolf one's my favorite. The dry, like the vampire um, one. 
Yeah, well, you got John Reese Davies in The Wolf. Yes. And yeah. it's Toby. Is it Toby or Tony? Um, Play, I, p- played by your boy from Twin Peaks. To- I think it's Toby. I think it's Toby. And I just love how he thinks, okay, okay, China, did you put acid in my drink again? Yeah. And he thinks he's in a, a role-playing kind of gig. Yeah. Um, he's basically, it, it, his character here is actually very similar to Bobby B- Briggs in Twin Peaks, who's, who's basically a dick. But, however, in the 2017, you know, later series, he's matured somewhat. But, yeah. But, yeah. I, I always, I've always liked Dana Icebrook. Anyways. Um, <laughs> right. Was, that was a bit twin, abrupt. <laughs> you, you were twin freaks. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Nobody knows who this guy is. I, well, I do. Nobody. The Twin Peaks fans do. The, oh, my God. Nothing against you, Danny Asbrook, and I do apologize for not caring that you're in Twin Peaks. <laughs> uh, Jesus Christ. You need so much help and guidance. <laughs> Tw- Twin Peaks, Doctor Who, and the X-Files. Oh, yes. If any of those actors, any actor, they could be in the worst fucking film ever. Okay? Ever, people. And then hear me out. He will go, oh, my God. <laughs> but you haven't seen Twin Peaks. He's in that. He is brilliant. <laughs> he plays the um, um, the dancing horse or something. Yeah, Antoine Peaks. Yeah. Oh, uh, Jesus. You forgot Twilight Zone. That's another point of reference of mine. Oh, yeah. Oh, fuck me. Uh, but yeah, so the scenes do work. And I do. Yeah, the Dracula ones. There's a scene where you, Dracula and she's got to eat the steak tartare. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, it, it looked really real. Like she was, she was eating flesh and blood and shit. Yeah, yeah. And I do like how she's thrown in this room, and it's beautifully bleached white. Yes, and she's in this beautiful white dress, and then there's this poor fucker being eaten. <laughs> His leg is. All it's her husband. And, yeah, within the context to, of the story that she's jumping thrown into. Yeah, she's. But what I also do like about it, it plays. On on her, it's kind of muddled with the other characters, but she has this big speech with Mark, who she used to date, saying, "I want to be wooed as a woman. Yes. I want to be treated with elegance and yeah, yeah I want the finer things." And she so gets when she's, ch- she's chucked into this Dracula kind of environment. That's who Dracula is. Yeah, he's a manipulator. He's he'll give you what you want. Yeah, and and it's all so, lavish and sort of big castle and yeah, yeah, and she's being wooed and yeah. And it, it, it plays well off off their weaknesses. Yes. Also, I I, um, I would say that um, they're not afraid to go gory in this, and I love the gore in it. Yeah, all practical, which I love to see, totally. especially the, um, especially the guy's leg. That was pretty nice. Yeah, shot. but also the, the, there's a scene where um, during the vampire tale, where she you know puts the the makeshift crucifix. Um, the cross to his, the vampire's head, and he fucking his head explodes in its class. Yeah, you know? yeah I remember you know? that. Yeah, uh, yeah, and, and then the werewolf practical was nice. Yes, um, especially when Toby's turning, his yes. head starts bubbling. Yeah, and they have to shoot him. And you know what's great about that whole thing? He's a likable character, so when he gets it, you kind of feel bad for him. Yeah, no, oh, he didn't do anything. He was just a bit of a dick, but he was quite likable. Yeah, yeah, he was just a smart ass. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm charming. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, he was a lovable, he was <laughs> wow. a lovable rogue. So he was, yeah. Toby, not you. What well, I suppose maybe you are as well. <laughs> I um, yeah. I like some of the the models which will eventually come to life. I can't remember. I think he's just, I think he's just badly burned. But 
or Invisible Man, the guy who's got the bandage on and yes. he's shoving the nozzle down the woman's throat. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, uh, overall, it's, it's clearly a sort of um, a love letter to all of the, the sort of classic horror sort of characters and tropes and stuff, you know. So, yeah. and I'm, you know, that's uh, it's you, you can see there's a real enthusiasm here from Hickox. Yeah, you can tell his love, especially for Universal Monsters. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the classics, I mean, like, you, like you mentioned. There's a little shop of horrors and everything in there somewhere. And, you know, so, yeah, it, it, this is like a, a, his love letter to the genre. Now, China and Toby get it first. Yes. So it's pretty much just Mark and... What's your name is again? It Laura or something? Or? Uh, Laura... I can't remember her name. Sarah. Sarah. That's Sarah. it. Sarah. Sarah. It's so Sarah. Sarah and her, they think that uh, they just hooked up. Yes. So they end up leaving the house, but they decide they want to go back. Something doesn't feel right. And I love the scene with the cop. Yes. The co- I was uh, going to say about the cop. It reminded me of, do you remember, remember the TV series Sledgehammer? That's who he sort of reminded yeah, me of. Yeah, he does. He yeah. does. And he even looks he, like him. He, 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 I bet. He, he plays like, an over-the-top 50s gumshoe. Is that what they call them? Gumshoes, yeah, yeah, yeah that sort of, um, sort of um, pulp type, you know, sort of, yeah. <laughs> slamming, his, slamming his fist on the desk for saying nothing. So, yeah, smoking it. heavily, you know. Smoke everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, I do like his, when he gets the mummy scene. Yes. I thought that was a fun scene, too. Yeah, he gets thrown in the coffin. He gets, oh, what a horrible way to go. Yeah. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's not a coffin. Again, it's a it's a tomb type thing. It's a tomb. Yeah, yeah. but there's some nice deaths there. He steps in the, the mummy steps on the man's head, mm-hmm. and then he spears him, and then he spears himself with the same spear. And, well, we're and talking about um, arcs as well. Um, you know, um, I but Sora's arc is pretty good. Where she's um, she's a virgin, and she's but she's like sexually repressed. So you know, well, well she she wants to sort of like sort of she wants to. There's a dark side to her, so she ends up getting thrown in with the Marquis de Sade, or Sad, as you would call him. <laughs> yeah, the Marquis de Sade is, yeah, as we all know what he's into, a very Fifty Shades of Grey. Yeah, well, and... <laughs> give, me, give me the Marquis <laughs> over Fifty Shades of Bollocks um, any day. Uh, but you know what, I, I, for our listening audience, just in case. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so she's thrown into this world of eroticism. Yeah, she's and, tempted with it. And you she's know? tempted by it. And she's hypnotized, but Mark figures out that you got all you have to do is you can run into this. You can you he finds the border. Yes, how to get out of these little scenarios? But he says you have to believe that it's fake. Yeah, there's, there's none of this is real. And once he does, he's able to jump in and out of each one. Yes, which I think works. Simple. It's yeah. fine. Yeah, where the this is where the film kind of has a downfall. This whole first act, this first half, is fun. And I enjoy it. But once, well, you kind of mentioned it, once he jumps on Wolfie, Patrick McNee, it sucks. It gets bad. It gets and a bit too silly. It gets, yeah. I think the first um, half, like you say, is definitely the strongest. And I would say as well, it's the first half is um, what always stuck out, stuck out in my mind over the years, what I remembered the most about it since first viewing it as a kid. Well, like you mentioned, uh, for budgetary reasons, it shows. Mm-hmm. Um you had this, the first act was smooth, it was kept engrossed, you had, uh, you saw some tales of how they became wax figures, mm-hmm. you seen some just get pushed in and then become wax figures, I was happy with that mix, 
But when you mention budgetary, it shows in the final act. Yeah. So the whole plan is that he needs 18 bodies yes. to finish these displays. Yeah. Uh, basically, and, David Warner has been knocking about for centuries. He made us, he sold his soul to the devil. And yeah, the 18 displays, you know, divide 18 by 3, 666, six, six, um, you know, three sixes. Um, so yeah, and that, that'll mean like it will unleash hell on earth type thing. Um, yeah, something like that. Anyway, but then they get John Steed from the Avengers because he was related to, or he was, um, he worked with Mark's granda, who was, I believe, bumped off by David Warner's Waxwork Museum curator. Um, yeah. Yeah, and the only way, obviously, any kind of wax film, and pretty much every wax film, is the only outcome that is to, to get the right outcome, is to burn it. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. Uh-huh. Like House of Wax and, you know, even the Paris Hilton one, you know. You know, even when 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 all these things come to life, because when you see them when they're just sitting there as, you know, pretending to be wax figures, it's fun. Yeah. You kind of go with it. But once they come to life, you're like, oh, this is kind of stupid. You, you know what this and film this reminds is, me of? Wow. Uh, in real world terms, getting on a ghost train. An amusement park ride. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? I go getting get on on the ghost train, and you know monsters jumping out and all that. There, and that that to me is just a lot of fun. You know? Yeah, it does. It does have that old, um, you know, old fairground, cheap little yeah, and uh, I love that horrors feel. You yeah. know? Yeah. And it, and it does. And, and don't get me wrong, it's still charm. It just kind of it looks unprofessional, and it's on. And it, that's obviously piggybacks on what you said, budgetary reasons. Um, the fight scenes were very generic. <laughs> Even David Warner's thing's bad when he falls into the whack and pops up. Do you want to come in for a deal with what he says? Yeah, like the it's, final scar type thing. Yeah, his they're gonna if they had a cut budget, they should have saved a little of it to give him a better death. Yeah, apparently they did run completely out of budget and they had a different finale planned. Um but they couldn't realize it, so they just said, fuck it, we'll just have everybody fight. And well, it's basically a riot at the end of it. <laughs> you know, it's a mini riot. And then you have like Patrick McNeil, um, like and like some sort of wheelchair type thing, you know, well, fighting people. He well, gets a pretty if, good death. Even, yeah, even if, even if you have to budget it and you can't do all the gore and stuff, you have to do like pretty much a big mosh pit. Yeah. You have Kate Hodder there, who's playing Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. He's a stunt coordinator, a very competent man. You could have had some competency behind the stunts and the fighting then, at least. It's complete give chaos. It, give it, get, yeah, it's all it is is, okay, okay, guys, and action. Yeah. That was it. Go crazy. There was it's no, basically... There's, go, there's no choreography. I think the direction was basically go nuts, go crazy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. And it's unfortunate because, like I said, the first three quarters of the film, you had me. I was enjoying myself. I had a smile on my face. And so... You hate giving, you know, you know, pissing on it because of budgetary reasons. But we're not really pissing on it. We're just sort of picking holes, if you know what I mean. Well, I'm not really picking holes. I mean, this ending's pretty, pretty bad. And I do love when when Sarah and Mark escape. Yeah. And then you see the fake the model house on fire. Yeah, yeah, but it's yeah. such a model. But I love it. I I have still have a smile on my face. Exactly. Yeah. And and yeah. then the the hand survives the hand yes. keeps attacking them from the yep. grave yep mm-hmm. which I thought was funny and then obviously waxwork and the music starts yeah mm-hmm. um, yeah it gets a little too chaotic there near the end there um, but but there's well, we, we under, at the same time we understand the reasons why they basically run out of money <laughs> you know 
Yeah, I know, but again, that shouldn't be an excuse. I do think, like I mentioned, the choreography, better choreography through his trunk coordinator could have helped that a bit. Spend an extra couple of days training him up a little bit and give us some fun little fights. Not this bunch of... Madness. Wow. I don't know what I was watching there. Madness. It was hard to keep track, actually, of what was going on during the finale because it's just, like, pe- people, like, you know, basically fighting with each other and just general madness, you know? But it, um, it sort of keeps in, you know, it's it sort of... In terms of, you know, the general sort of tone of it anyway, it sort of it fits in a way. But, yeah, I know it, it is chaotic. Like it, 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 The film... Um, obviously we'll get a pass for me uh, for a series of reasons. I, I liked the little stories and I liked the anthology feel of it. And I liked the, especially the practical effects. Um, but it is pretty much just an homage to what Hickox liked when he was a kid. It's got a, a Universal Monsters, the original House of Wax, yeah. almost a Monsters kind of charm to it. Yeah. So... It's it it's fun and it's taking a piss and you can't take it seriously. So you can get away with the over the top gore and the the Marque de Sade scene where he's whipping her, mm-hmm. um, which is actually probably the darker part yeah. of the film. And uh, so if you can if you can take all that and watch it as what we're saying it is, you probably will enjoy it. The last five minutes let it down, but no offense, a lot of Stephen King stuff lets us down the last five minutes. <laughs> so. But we still give them passes, so why wouldn't he get a pass? So Waxworks is a fun little film. They did a sequel, which was, was terrible. Um, don't see it. I can't but, remember. Uh, yeah. yeah, see exactly. Um, but uh, yeah, it's I still enjoy it. I know it's, I, I know the sequel something to do with um, time travel or something more, and I, I know technically this is time travel because they're getting thrown into these stories. But yeah, I, I would have to watch it again to form a proper opinion. Yeah, I watched it once. That was enough for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is, but I mean, with me as well. There's nostalgia reasons for liking this, but it is it, it's it's a it's a it's a, a fair ground ride. You know, it's you know, don't take it too serious. It, it actually has a really good cast. Um, what you, Zach Gilligan is actually I think the weakest of of a lot of them. Um, but um, you you've Warner in there, Patrick McNee, the two girls are are great and pretty strong. So yeah, it, it's this is good fun. Um. Yeah. So check it out, uh, Anthony Hickox. R.I.P. Buddy. It's too bad that you never got a a bigger break. Uh, some of the big boys there. Well, nice to see what you can do if you're given a bigger budget and actually maybe remake Racks work. That would be kind of neat mm-hmm. to see. But sadly, we probably won't get it. Uh, which is funny. Funny. I, I'm surprised. That I know they remade House of Wax, which was wasn't bad a few years back. Part of Sultan. Yeah. I would I wouldn't mind seeing a remake of this. It'd be kind of fun, um, but again, they'll probably ruin it with fucking digital well, and CGI. CGI. Yeah, yeah, just leave it. It is what it is. It's a slice of eighties cheese, and it's fun. Just don't go into it. You know what I mean? Go into it um, expecting a bit of a foreground ride, you know, and uh, homage to the, the old um, classics. All right, guys, we're gonna wrap this one up. Um... Yeah, next up, The Exorcist 2. Oh, dear God. Uh, or as I like to call it, um, The Adventures of Locust Man and Tatooine. <laughs> yeah, it's got Kokomo in it. Or Kokomo, <laughs> whatever the fuck his name is. James Earl Jones. God love you, man. What were you thinking? Yeah. Um, but if you want to learn about the life of a locust, watch <laughs> Exorcist 2, the 
yeah. heretic. Never mind sense documentary. Just watch Exorcist 2. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. We're going to wrap it up. We are done. Uh, thanks for listening. If you want to give us a shout, always feel free to at CitizenFrame underscore podcast. And, of course, on Facebook. Um, we're going to – wow, this is under 30 minutes. That is a miracle. Yeah. We could Why couldn't Exorcist 2 be under 30 minutes? <laughs> Why couldn't Exorcist 2 just be like under 30 seconds? I'm talking about the film. Oh, my God. Well, we'll find out why we're we're not fans of it in the next podcast. You guys take care of yourselves. Thank you.